Lord, we lift you up right now, and um, we open our hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat real quick. Got your green on? All right, how many of you seen that one? All six of you. Okay. That's why we showed it, because uh, if you haven't seen that one, I kind of wanted you to see it. I, I, I like that. Apparently, if you watch... Uh, uh, Channel 7 in that show, you're going to get a 360 view so you can make up your mind uh, and have your perspective on uh, different issues. And I love that imagery right there uh, as we go into James chapter 5 uh, today um, because I think you're going to need to put on a 360 uh, approach and have a different, different perspective on how to look at this portion of the Bible here. And uh, you got to stick with me here for a second, and maybe James uh, will pull us back from getting hit by a truck, or uh, so to speak, uh, spiritually. So, uh, you know, I hear people all the time say, James is my favorite book. I love James. James is, and why do you love it? Well, I get it, part of it. I love it because you can have uh, joy in trials. You can ask for wisdom. You can call the elders and pray and be healed, and you've got a lot of really good stuff. I think most people like James All right, kick in there, sound people. I think James, most people think uh, James is their favorite because um, it's about doing something. It's about taking some action, right? I mean, everybody gravitates towards that because faith without deeds, without works is dead. Let's get something done and get practical. It's a practical, everybody says practical book, but have you read the book of James? Not many of you read the whole book, or if you have, you would have got a little hung up by the time you get to chapter 5, because James is not my favorite book, not at all. I, I think James is messed, actually. Did I just say that? Did I besperch the name of James here? Uh, a New Testament writer, we expect a New Testament writer to have it all dialed in, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would like, well, let's take a 360 on that. He may be pulling you from getting hit by a truck, or I may throw him under the bus. We'll see. Or, or both, actually. And what I'm going to try and do is, uh, because you have either the fortunate or unfortunate uh, situation of being in the second service, uh, I am going to see if I can't pull an audible and do this a little bit differently than I did in the first service. Don't talk to those people, whatever you do. <laughs> Yeah, don't talk to them, uh, because uh, apparently we, we jumped in the deep end a little far there, and I uh, had several people say, uh, actually, you know, maybe that was for a seminar for people who are like really deep with the Lord, and, and I might have just turned on a fire hose, and, and then because of uh, time, I cut off some stuff at the end, so I am going to see what happens. Yeah, and, uh, uh, but James, James comes out swinging in in chapter 5, you know, Daniel's been saying for weeks, uh, he's hard-hitting, right? Uh, he's just laying it out there. Well, he goes from hard-hitting to being off the rail here, really. Uh, and he's either getting you from getting hit by a bus, or he's off the rail. And you're going to get to decide, and uh, I think it could be both, actually, believe it or not. But listen to how he starts this thing here. And just by the way, uh, I'm the lead pastor, and so I can actually decide what I want to preach and what I don't preach, and I, gotta, I can give it to Daniel if I want to. But he's on vacation today. 
And it's on vacation today, and we looked at this thing, and it really needs to be this, this week. And so um, I would have punted on this, no doubt. <laughs> and he'd have done better with it too, by the way. But now listen. That's how it starts. Put it up there. Now listen. Okay. By the way, I don't think James wants this to be read um, like we usually read the Bible. Here's how we usually read Now listen. You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery, and now all the kids can go to children's church. That's generally how we do this. But I don't think that's how this rolls. I think to read it like he wrote it, like he intended it, and like what he's trying to confront, it's read in a completely different way. It'd be more like this. Now listen! You rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh. I don't know if he does it like that, but... Uh, you read it. I'm reading what it says. I have trouble with that part. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look! The, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed you, your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. If this is your first Sunday, I apologize. <laughs> you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Most commentators think that's Jesus he's talking about right there because it's singular, the innocent one. Uh, and I don't know if the rich people did that. Maybe they did. Maybe it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who, uh, because of wealth, did that. But what are you seeing here? Are you having, I have a little problem with how that is. That looks like Old Testament stuff to me. Matter of fact, that's as Old Testament as you can get. You know how everybody says, I'm kind of into Jesus, I'm kind of into the New Testament. It's the Old Testament I don't like. The only problem is this is in the New Testament. Right? And James is throwing hellfire and brimstone. And I'm not going to put a positive spin on it and try and get you out of the mess. I actually am not going to. I think James may be a little bit off his rocker here. Or actually what I think James is, is I think he's so upset at an injustice that he's heard about that he is actually expressing his emotions here. And that he is, is, is I'm, okay, I'm okay with him expressing his emotions, even if he's speaking in hyperbole. Because he is, because if those, those, uh, that whole bit about... Uh, uh, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. And any person who's listening to that going, that's past and perfect present tense, meaning that it's happened and it's happening. And you would go, hey, go check the closet, will you? And they look in the closet. Oh, the clothes look fine. And gold doesn't corrode. And silver gets tarnished, but you can go polish it up. So if you're going to like take this and go, Oh, he's getting all prophetic about what's going to happen. That's not what he's saying. He's saying as extremely as he can, here's what's happening, and that stuff, uh, you may look at it and see that it's not corroding. It's corroding something else. I don't think James was that uh, uh, ignorant to not know about gold 
and silver. I think he's trying to talk like an Old Testament prophet. Weeping and wailing like, where's that from? Like Jonah, you know, put on sackcloth and ashes when king of Nineveh and stuff like that, right? And then you see phrases like, obviously that flesh like fire a bit, and uh, uh, I guess because you have hoarded wealth in these last days, look, and it seems to be the rub, is that you didn't pay the workers who mowed your fields and are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That is the name of, for the Lord of hosts. Now that's not the host at the door who makes you feel good. That's the host of the Lord's armies. James is like calling in the power of the Lord's armies against rich people who haven't paid their workers. Whoa. Okay, you process that. I spent uh, an extra seven minutes last service helping you process that. And uh, um, too far in the deep end there, uh, honestly. But I can tell you that I've struggled with this. I've been, I've been uh, uh, walking on this for weeks. And walk with Jesus and going, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Everything should be interpreted We've talked about this before. Everything is interpreted through Jesus. The Old Testament is interpreted through Jesus. The New Testament is interpreted through Jesus. We know in Colossians that he's the exact image and representation of God. So if you want to know how to understand it, or if you want to understand this, you've got to understand it through the eyes of Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you something. James was written, it's the first book written in the New Testament. Now, fortunately, they didn't put it at the first of the list of canon, right? Because you go ahead and read this, and you'd think, oh, that's how it is. And then uh, you'd miss the fact that these Gospels are coming along. Oh, phew, Jesus came along. We got the, this was written in 46 uh, AD, and the first Gospel was written another 12 years later. Um, Matthew. Whew, I think the Holy Spirit said, yeah, James, uh, we got to add to that. You've got to give you some more on that because you need to see how Jesus is in the heart of Jesus. But I'm okay with the, the wrestling match and the tension. James is trying to do something here. Um, and he either needs to be thrown under the bus or he's trying to rescue us from being hit by a bus. But let's put it together here. Okay, I'm not going to go much further on that. You can tell if, if you're one of the rich people in here who shorted your workers the wages, man, I would... Take care of that pretty quick, if, if I were you. I mean, that's, the, that's a takeaway that you can kind of act on, you know, and uh, uh, get out your checkbook and uh, don't go on vacation and pay those guys. Pretty sure I can't think of anybody, don't worry, I don't know anybody in the house who's actually done that that I could bust you on. So uh, James apparently did. He is, he is, he is upset. And he has heard about this. But if you're, uh, so if you're on that side of uh, an injustice, you know, I don't, it's pretty clear. If you're on the other side and you have been wronged or you have been shorted or you can think about how you've been working and it hasn't turned out right, um, where the scales have not been even and you've been oppressed, then this next part is for you. Okay? He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. He didn't call the rich people brothers and sisters, by the way. But now he goes, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer walk, uh, waits excuse me, for the land to yield its valuable crop, 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. But don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. Getting back to that thing. Judge is standing at, the judge is standing at the door. So if you've been oppressed, here's his comfort for you. The Lord's going to come back and make it right. Now they believe he's going to come back and make it right in their lifetime. The thing that uh, uh, James was telling them is, oh yeah, man, he could be back next week. And when he comes back, back to the previous uh, six verses, it's going to be made right. And I'm going to be back to good. Okay, Jesus, that's cool. Come back. Oh, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, he's invoking that imagery, who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here's the comfort that you get if you've been on the oppressed side. You can be like Job. And Job, as you know, the enemy took everything from him and God eventually replaced it fivefold. Um, except that if that doesn't happen, then when before the Lord, the Lord will come back and make it right which is a comfort that there is justice in the end. Um, but I think, uh, so I, if, if you've been oppressed, I hope you're finding comfort in that. I don't think James is actually trying to give you that much comfort in that. I think he's got a point that's underneath here that is, uh, these ideas are connected. Some of the things that I struggle with when I read James is that he's all over the place. One minute he's talking about the rich people, next minute he's talking about um, uh, the oppressed, and then he says, oh, and above all my brothers and sisters, put up verse 12, above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Oh, make sure. Okay, I just didn't get this in here. Why don't you guys make sure you don't swear at all? Why does he do that? Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, or otherwise you'll be condemned. He throws another one of those in there, and I don't get it. But why does he talk about your yes? I like the other version. Yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? Why does he say that in the context of what we were just talking about? Because we usually don't read that in the context of what we were just talking about. We'd read it separate. Oh, here's a little tidbit, a little uh, nugget that you can take from James. But, uh, and, and a matter of fact, we, we about uh, divided this up in a different way. And we're going to do a single message just on integrity about your yes and your no. But this yes and this no are directly connected to what we were just talking about. Okay? Because what do you do when you hire somebody? You make an agreement. Spoken or formal, right? And you say, okay, you're going to do this, and I'm going to give you that for doing this. That's basic. Your yes, our yes on this, had better not turn out to be a no which is exactly what's happening in the first part of that. We agreed that we would do this. Somebody, some rich person hired you, and then, and then they didn't pay you, and uh, uh, now you're on the bad end of this, and they're on the good end of this, and they are like uh, living on, in the lap of luxury on your back. And of course, that doesn't happen anymore. That's just in James' day. The guy who designed this building, the architect, I was just, uh, he, uh, uh, he's pretty good. If you look out there at the gathering center, he knows what he's doing. I go, why aren't you up in Aspen? 
and you go, where you can really make some money. And he goes, I was up in Aspen for 15 years, but I'm tired of fighting for the last 10%. You, you, they lawyer up and then automatically don't pay you. So what do you do? Well, you charge them 20%, so they hack away the ton, 10% so that you get back to what you were supposed to get, which is obviously why they don't pay you your 10%. What are you describing there? You're describing the BS of how the world system works. That's what it is. It's how the world system works, right? And you don't even know you're operating in that because that's just how it works. I'm pretty sure that every rich person that uh, could be included in that first six verses doesn't believe that they belong in the first six verses. Matter of fact, do, you, do, you anybody, do are you, any of you that rich person? Of course not. Now you may be sitting here with huge money, but you're not that person. That, that you may be sitting here with hardly any, so you're pretty sure you're not that. And so we're always throwing rocks at the 1%, but you do your math, go to wealthcalculator.com or whatever it is, Google that, and put your income in, and you'll find that you're in the top 4% of the world. If you're in this room, you're in the top 4% of the world. And so it could be, just check it out, and I think James went to that hyperbole in the beginning for that very reason, so that you and I probably look at the scale and say we're on the injustice side. We would never be on the, the side where we uh, actually exploited somebody else. But this is talking about the world system because James has talked about the world system, hasn't he? He's talked about knowing what's right and not doing it as sin, the sin of omission, right? He's talked about good deeds that show your faith. Remember we said, what's the will of God? Just do the next right thing. Remember that? Just do the, what is the next right thing? Well, you can be so ingrained in the world system of how it works that you think this is the normal. But I'm here to tell you, the more you follow Jesus, the more clarity, if you're honest, you will get about how that system and the system that God has are two different things. Do you know what I mean? Now, we talk about loving God and loving people. And obviously, when we think of loving people, I'm always mentioning the relationships you're in, the relationship that you have with people who are closest to you and on the peripheral, and we're often talking about, uh, because God puts them in our uh, path, the homeless people that we meet and responding. Daniel had uh, an awesome lesson about that in his sermon last week. And so um, it's enough just to love God by loving the people that you encounter. But what if we are so ingrained in a system that loving God might require us to adjust from that system, even how we live our life? for people that we don't even know. Now, if you're liberal, you like where I'm going. And if you're conservative, you've put up a wall already. And you said, no, talk to the hand. And the liberals are going, go, go, man, because he's starting to talk about social justice. Okay, let's just pop this open. Gave myself some time on this. Climate change. Climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. I heard I say, okay, go to your positions. 
Everybody get in your tribe. Everybody hang out with whoever agrees with you on that. And we got the people on the one side, finally we're talking about something that lands for people. And then the other side are going, everybody knows, or actually we know that climate change is happening naturally, has nothing to do with fossil fuel. And uh, the other side is going, oh, I hate that when they say that because that's so stupid. And I intentionally popped that one. We could do we could have done climate change, we could have done healthcare, we could have done food, we could have done housing, we could have done uh, all of these social issues. We racism, you do you'd pick your issue. I'm just doing climate change right now. Do you know? Uh, okay, let's just say uh, for you I see because over there you're you're stage right, which you're on the left, so you're the left, politically left, and that puts you over on the right. Some of you fit perfectly over here, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we'll let you work it out later. Um, but, okay, so is it happening naturally? Even President Trump's science director said that, yes, it's happening nat- uh, naturally, and it's being added to. So I don't even care what position you have uh, by fossil fuel. I don't even care about that. I'll, uh, because I'm really talking not about that issue. I'm talking about loving God and loving people. And could it be that some of our behavior actually ends up putting us on the wrong side of this equation? That, that in fact, um, it's hard to have compassion about this because, first of all, um, people who are being affected by this are somewhere else. But did you know the way you live right now affects somewhere else? It affects, most of the people on climate change right now who are being affected by that didn't have anything to do with it. Even if it is natural, they didn't have anything to do with the fossil fuel part of it. They're suffering uh, an injustice from somebody else's consumption. Okay, you can disagree. Great. Park this thought, pitch it. Get back to what we're talking about here. Could it be possible that we would find ourselves on the wrong side of justice. It's absolutely not just possible, it's probable. It's probable, because if you follow Jesus, you're going to get an increasing uh, understanding of how his things work, how his heart is, how, how he cares for people, and we're going to go from where we were to here. Now, the tragic thing is that you say you're following Jesus. This is why James is saying this. Did you see in those first six verses that there wasn't even an opportunity for the rich people to repent? There was nothing there. He was just saying, listen, you rich people. And then he turns and says, brothers and sisters, don't worry, Jesus is going to make it work out okay, but don't be fighting amongst yourselves. Why did he put that in there? Because this isn't about the rich people. It's about all of us who have rich people in us, that, that stuff in us. It's about every one of us who finds ourselves on the opposite side. All you got to do is the next right thing, which means you need to adjust. And here's what's so cool. This little thing over here that uh, all, now I've discovered that um, there's an injustice and I should adjust my life so that I'm on the justice side. See, I'm not on the judgment side of injustice. I'm on the repentance side of injustice very big point there. All you can do is respond in repentance, not in judgment about that. So take this political stuff. You can have your political opinion. That's what's great about being at the orchard because there's room here for everyone. There really is room here for the people on the right and the left because loving people and loving God is a bigger deal than all of that. And so it may be a thing where you need to adjust. 
I'm having to adjust some things. I've been at this Jesus thing for 35 years, and I'm having to adjust some things because I want to follow him. I want to follow him to the next thing. And because he cares about this, I shift to that. Hopefully they're going to come up with a way to make my F-150 electric. You work on that. I'm hoping that happens. But there's an adjustment that needs to happen. Why? So that redemption and shalom and the transformation of, of other people's lives, we start caring about other people. We start sacrificing. What he's saying, like, be generous. And be generous enough to switch how you're living. Why? Take Katie Stewart, for example. Take Katie Stewart, back here in the 90s, Doug and Ellen Stewart take some of their resources from here, which could have gone to something for them, and put it here in a compassion kid. But then their heart, because where your treasure is, there's your heart, goes along with that. And then they start walking with that kid over the years. And then they start going there. I bet for sure they didn't plan on their daughter going there. They might not have put their money there if they thought their daughter was going to go there. But that's not how it works, fortunately, isn't it? God takes us incrementally, one step at a time. And now, the child that they were sponsoring has a college degree is in teaching his parents how to read. And there's a center there. And there's this impact there. And it got turned over. A kingdom seed blossoms into something that you can't even imagine. Wouldn't it be incredible by your sacrificial choice of consuming differently here, caring about somebody that you don't even see, making a change here, God leverages that for his kingdom and as things start to shine. And a little bit of hope comes in a place and a little bit of it grows and it grows and shalom comes as things should be. The world system will never bring shalom. And it won't bring it to you either. It won't bring peace to you either. I think that's what James is doing. You let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't renege on your agreements. It's, it, the fact is, is that we find ourselves probably in the top sometimes. And here's a simple question that you do. You're open-handed with Jesus and you say, Lord, is there anything you want to show me? Is it just, that's just simple. We don't have to make this overly complicated. Is there anything you want to show me? And then if you see something, you can recognize it's not the puppies on TV trying to make you feel guilty. It's something that you can respond to because the Lord brought it. And then the kingdom comes. Because you and I were found on the wrong side of judgment, on the wrong side of justice. And Jesus, who was on the right side, came to the wrong side to move you to the right side. So now he can incrementally bring your life into alignment with the reality of what he's done for you. This is kind of a cool time to take communion. Because yes, you're thanking him that he's moved you from here to there. And simple prayer, Lord, as I do this and what you did for me, is there anything you want me to show, you, show me today? Because I'll respond. I'm not asking for big change. Personally, I'm, I'm challenging for small. That's all I'm asking, something small. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Katie's testimony that a little thing goes big because you make it that way. 
We pray that you use us individually and as a church so that the world is a different place by our intentional acts of loving people and our indirect surrender and sacrifice for the sake of people that we don't even know. Leverage us into your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.